Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. Toyota Brookhaven services all makes and models. That could be why we were voted best service department the past two years. Come see why. Exit 40 Brookhaven or online at toyotabrookhaven.com. Great service, great savings. At Toyota Brookhaven, we deliver. Howdy, howdy. It's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone and welcome to Middays Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host Gerard Gibbert along with Will East in today for the vacationing rhino. We'll be guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder and fine music as rhino would say on this Friday Eve. Friday Eve, Friday Eve. and uh, it is warm. Yep. Humid. 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 <laughs> uh, and, you know, it, it's that time of year where a rain shower may pop up yep. right over there and not pop up in your area and quench your thirst and yep. cool things off. Yep. I, for one, am tired of the monsoon. We got a lot of yes. rain in my house yesterday doing a little landscaping, and it is well, interfering that's the thing. with I was that. I went home at lunch yesterday to let the dogs out, and it rained the whole way I was there, and then I got to my house, dry as all could be. <laughs> Indeed. We um, we kick off the morning with a bit of sad news in the state of Mississippi. Johnny Morgan unexpectedly passed away in a plane crash yesterday afternoon in Arkansas. Johnny, by himself on the plane, a pilot of a small King Air, that's a twin-engine turboprop, we don't have a lot of information as to what happened. Johnny was 76 years old. He uh, reported that he heard a puttering sound in the aircraft, and he radioed that in to air traffic control, and then they lost radio contact. Typically, that would happen when you descend below a certain altitude uh, at, in an area that um, where the coverage is not really geared for low-altitude flight, because you're not near an airport at that point. So, and he went down, and uh, I have seen the flight-aware data that shows that the plane did descend at a very rapid rate in the last three or four minutes till it finally crashed into the ground. Very, very sad. If you don't know Johnny, he served as a state senator. He um, is a very successful business person. And served in the Senate, I think, from 83 to 91 is the range of dates that that comes to memory. He was a big old Miss guy. I see him at the games a lot. And perhaps he's best known, Will, for a very unique event that he hosted at, uh, he called it his barn, but it's it's pretty <laughs> decked out barn. Nice one. Yeah. Uh, out a bit from uh, the Oxford town there. 
And he called it Good Old Boys and Gals, O-L-E, Boys and Gals. I don't know how long he's been doing it, but it's a long time. And he, and he does it typically during federal and state election seasons. And it's an opportunity for candidates to get up on the stump there, so to speak. You know, they got a little platform. little bench. Yeah, yeah. Un, under the barn and uh, the overhang of the barn attached to it. And then it's big area. And you, it, there's barbecue chicken. That's always the, the fair. And lots of people come. You know, friends, political enthusiasts. I've been several times. It's always a time to hook up and connect with people that you know from across the state that are also interested in politics and concerned voters. And Johnny was always good enough to host this event. And, Will, inside the barn, it was like a political museum when you look at all of the uh, the signage and memorabilia posted along the walls there. It was fascinating. I mean, going way back in the state of Mississippi in particular. And uh, it was always just a blast. And Johnny was, of course, always had a million-dollar smile on his face, interacting with everyone in attendance, getting around. And I know the candidates appreciated, and I would have to say it was all it was done in the traditions, the best traditions of our state and nation as it relates to the political process. I mean, this is an opportunity for candidates to stand before voters and make their pitch, why you should vote for me. And it was always fascinating. I, I remember a couple of years ago when Donald Trump Jr. and Kimberly Guilfoyle, I think his fiance at the time, perhaps, were in attendance. And that was fascinating. And that was pretty cool for them to come down into Mississippi and to Oxford there and go to Johnny's Barn and, and uh, address the crowd. That was cool. That was fun. But Johnny was always gracious in that respect and never met a stranger. Everybody was a friend. And frequently, Will, he would text me on my personal phone while we're airing the show, offering his opinion (laughs) 99% of the time in agreement uh, with what we were discussing and, and our analysis of various issues. And I always appreciated that, you know, knowing that he was listening in and and concerned, honestly, more than anything, just, you know, was involved in the process and tracked policy and also was a very effective fundraiser. The governor said in, in his social media post about the passing of Johnny, he said he was fiercely loyal, and when he was with you, he was with you. And I totally agree. That's exactly how he was. He, there, there wasn't any any squishiness about him. You know, when he said he was with you as a candidate or on an issue, you can take that to the bank. That's what you want. Uh, were we to have candidates who would be so consistent, if you think about it? So it's very sad in the state of Mississippi that uh, Johnny Morgan, 76, has passed away. We'll uh, we'll miss him for sure. Miss him, friend friend of this network, this program, all our programs as well. Mm-hmm. Just wanted to point that out. So, sad news to begin the day. 
We will turn our attention a bit to some of the other goings-on around the state and the nation. We've got Clifton Carroll coming on the program at 11.05. Clifton is the executive director of the Skills Foundation of Mississippi, and we'll discuss some high school seniors in the Pine Belt who were awarded some signing bonuses. Signing bonuses. Nice. Employment, yep. And then... Ira Melman, media director of FAIR, that's an acronym, stands for Federation for American Immigration Reform. Of course, big news there, all the stuff going on down there at the at the border, and we'll get uh, Ira's take on that. Some other news in Mississippi, Representative Earl Banks has pled guilty to falsely reporting gross income tax. He's 68, and according to his own admission, he failed to report about 500 grand of income he received from the sale of some property. He's a Democrat from Jackson. He said he was unaware of his duty to report the additional income. Hmm... Well, you may be unaware of that, sir, but surely when you have a transaction like that, you would seek the services of a qualified tax preparer to handle that for you. You're going to get some documents when you have transactions like that that you might ought to pay attention to. The only thing you need to know about taxes is this, is they never could get Al Capone on anything, but they got him on. That's true. <laughs> I'm not paying his taxes. That's true. Couldn't prove he did anything else but that. And honestly, that's the way it ought to work. I, I mean, t- instead of taking people into court on all these allegations and innuendo. I took a uh, – it was like a pre-law class. I, I don't remember what they – I didn't – I'm at university, and I was not a uh, – a law student, obviously, but uh, I don't know. They had some sort of law pre-law class, you know, just learned the basics, basically, and I took it. And I remember the uh, professor telling us, if you sell drugs, okay, that's, yep. that's not good to do. But if you do it, make sure you pay taxes You're on those, on those profits. That's absolutely true. <laughs> that's absolutely true. He says, because they will get you. <laughs> Illegitimate income is still subject to tax. That's absolutely true. So he's uh, scheduled is Representative Banks to be sentenced on August 21st. He faces a maximum penalty of three years in prison. Also, folks, if you're not signed up for the Super Talk News email feed, you need to do that because uh, our, our news staff is doing an outstanding job of keeping you abreast of all the breaking news in the state of Mississippi. And uh, our new site is, uh, I think, outstanding. It's uh, really been improved quite a bit uh, by the staff, the current staff, and, and we appreciate that. A lot of stuff out there. Go sign up for it. I think you would enjoy it. It's time for a break here. We are in the Element Wealth Studios today, and we're coming right back on middays. A lot more to talk about, including whistleblower testimony. <laughs> FBI whistleblower. I listened into some of that this morning. Stay with us. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's do this. On Super Talk Mississippi. Let's go. 
Welcome back, everyone. It's midday. Super Talk Mississippi. We uh, thank you so much for joining us today. So, I tuned in this morning to some of the whistleblower testimony up on the hill in the House, presided over by Representative Jim Jordan. And while I'm, I certainly support that we're getting to the bottom of this, hopefully, at least we're investigating what appears to be uh, just inappropriate treatment of FBI employees who couldn't stand by idly anymore without exposing the corruption in the nation's top law enforcement agency. And I, I didn't was wasn't able to watch it, but I was tuned in listening on the radio. And the decorum is what disturbed me more than anything. It was just a series of gotchas back and forth. Didn't you say this? Didn't you say that? You tweeted this. You tweeted that. Do you believe this, that? And I, it doesn't feel like it's really progressing towards the truth and towards proper action against those who were engaged in the corruption. I thought the statements read by the FBI agents were outstanding. I'm sure that was done in conjunction with their attorneys, their counsel. But I thought it was outstanding, but it was it was stunning, honestly, because, to hear what they had to say. Yeah, the, the whole thing is pretty scary. Uh, to read you a quote, if you're a parent attending a school board meeting, if you're a pro-lifer praying at a clinic, or if you're a Catholic simply going to Mass, you are a target of the government, a target of the FBI. Yeah. And I think that was one of the members of Congress, right? It was Jordan. That was Jordan himself. Okay. So, uh, yeah, which is true that we have weaponized, politicized the highest levels of law enforcement and justice in this country. That is, you hear the refrain all the time, it's the end of democracy. Well, nothing will take down democracy faster than when you politicize its most trusted institutions. Of course, the FBI and the DOJ, arguably the, uh, the, the most blatant examples. And if there's one true, unmistakable function of government, it's to enforce the law and protect the people. But when government decides that some people are guilty and need to be targeted simply because of their political views, without breaking any laws, because they redress a school board, because they don't take too kindly to the content Mm -hmm. that not only is being thrust on their children, but overt attempts to hide it from parents. Or, as indicated, it's Catholics who hold deep convictions, pro-life convictions. And because of that, well, they're targeted because they get in the way of the left's pro-choice agenda. 
That's scary. I mean, it's the things that served as the catalyst for the founding of this country. It's what it's the sort of oppression that the founders fled to create this republic. And now we're going back to that, it seems. That that's bothersome. But more importantly, I think about all the challenges we have here in the country that need to be addressed. I guess specifically economic challenges. And this is what's consuming all our time. Yeah. And I'm not saying it's a waste of time. I'm just saying that because people acted inappropriately and in a corrupt fashion, and one of those members of Congress, I, I didn't catch when she was introduced, but she named names. These people are corrupt. And it was names of people in the DOJ and the FBI. Bravo. Should be named. But the FBI employees, the agents, said they were they had their security clearances revoked, suspended, simply because they spoke out against politicization of the agency. And one shared an account where he was called to meet with his superiors he's in a conference room at the FBI offices, one of them in Florida. And uh, and it had to do with the January 6th stuff. So the FBI was, uh, I think, inappropriately pursuing those who participated in the January 6th uh, debacle. But they really didn't break any law. But the FBI was determined to chase them down, make an example out of them, and and uh, render benefit, if you will, to uh, Joe Biden and the Democrats. And he spoke out against that. Yeah, he he wasn't like he was there. He was just spoke out against yeah, it. He, he saw it and he knew it was going on. But he said that the the two uh, higher level, higher ranking officials, employees of the FBI. Pulled him in a conference room. He said it's, I guess, standard procedure. They all put their cell phones on the table. That's what he said. And I think to show that you're not recording it. And um, he said basically they tried to persuade him just to stand down. You you really don't believe this, do you? And kind of bullying him, harassing him as an employee. You either see things our way, which he felt was wrong, or we're going to take action. It just shouldn't be that way. shouldn't be that way in any private sector uh, entity environment. certainly shouldn't be that way in the government. So we're just exposed. It's being exposed now on the Hill. But it's disturbing how deep the corruption is. And You're right, though. It, it's a cycle. It's So the whistleblowers are on Capitol Hill talking to the um, people of Congress. And then the media, they're going in their their tracks. Like the New York Times is attacking um, the whistleblower. CNN oh, yeah. is attacking exactly. the whistleblower. You're going to get the MAGA crap and all that stuff. So what yeah. you're going to get the old long in the tooth refrains that have become just a steady diet. But it's retaliatory. So, so I'm going to read a headline for you. Yeah. You tell me uh, which organization you think sent this out. Okay. Uh, Jim Jordan's FBI whistleblowers testifying publicly 
before Congress as questions about their legitimacy remain. Legitimacy? Yeah. Well... That's uh, CNN, by the way. I, I was going to say CNN or New York Times. Yeah. It could go either way. The Daily Beast says GOP's FBI whistleblowers have had have clearances yanked over January 6th misconduct. Misconduct. You mean because they blew the whistle on the fact that the FBI seemed to be more focused and consumed and obsessed with chasing them down than going after the true criminals in society? Here's the New York Times headline. GOP witnesses paid by Trump ally oh embrace January 6th conspiracy oh theories. So here's the way I see it. You guys out there may not see it the same way. We got on the right, we seem to be consumed with, obsessed with the 2020 election was stolen. And on the left, it's January 6th. Yeah, we're just we're we're stuck in those two events in the past. We don't seem to be moving on. In the meantime, we can't get this debt ceiling situation resolved. But even even let's say they are crazy. Let's say these whistleblowers. Let's say they are they are right of uh, of Trump. Okay, yeah. they think Trump's a liberal. You know mm-hmm. that's how right they are. Mm-hmm. Does it take away from the their their claims? No, it it doesn't, and it and it maybe it um, it's something that uh, this event, this these hearings, this investigations call into question whether or not they have the right to just express their personal political views. But in this case, it went beyond that because because what happened was, well, the Democrats that were questioning the whistleblowers, they kept referring to these various tweets. That they had made, and which were just seemed to be meaningless to me, and it was just these gotcha attempts more than anything yeah. to try to discredit them and and make them admit on the record, and then they got all bent out of shape because Jordan wouldn't wouldn't um, release some of the written testimony in interviews, depositions. I guess they had you're. You're b- blocking evidence from being released. So it got real legal in that respect, and I was just yawning. We're coming right back in the Element Well studio. Stay with us. Bring it on. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. It is on. On Super Talk Mississippi. That's what we need, a little joy to the world by the great Three Dog Night. We are in the Element Wealth Studios. Are you thinking about or planning for retirement? Do you have a plan? Go to myelementwealth.com or call 601-957-6006 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income, growth, and guarantees. And by the way, the ceasefire text line 601-879-4395. Give us a text. Join the conversation. We'd love to hear from you. Also, uh, speaking of retirement, Will, some news from folks in the, the finance industry about that. 
say that 43% of people over 55 who have retired now say they're going back to work due to inflation. It's chewing away at their retirement income. You know, one of the most common things that I have um, people ask me, because they think that I'm in the know, obviously I'm not, uh, but they ask me all the time, where are the workers? Yeah. Where are are all the workers? And I always tell them, well, look, you got an older population. The United States has an older population. COVID hit. A lot of people died. A lot of people decided to retire. A lot of people decided not to come back. And that's that's you don't have that younger population coming up to fill those shoes, basically, right? That's absolutely right. Um, so it and with inflation, it does not shock me that a lot of these folks that are retiring, I, my mother-in-law has a part-time job just because she's retired, has doesn't have a whole lot to do, got a lot of time on her hands, so she works at a, a, a little part-time job, you know, sure. just something to do and earn a little bit of extra cash. And I know a lot of people who are retired who, you know, I could use a, a price of eggs is through the roof, so I'm Go work a little part-time job, and there you go. Yeah, you're seeing that uh, big time uh, for sure. And as well, you know, it wasn't so long ago that you had China uh, and Japan as well that had policies limiting the number of children, the one-child household policy. Now it's just the opposite. In fact, China is... Offering financial incentives, financial incentives to build a, quote, new era marriage and childbearing culture within its population. It's concerned about maybe we went a little too far, but, of course, the biggest problem is no children, no workers in the future. That's right. And that's a big old problem. So according to projections, China's population is likely to drop below the one billion mark um, in 2080 and below 800 million in 2100. Now that's a long way away, but it's still something that you got to think about today. It's not a positive trend. Demographers say the society needs to guide young people more on the concept of marriage and childbirth and encourage young people to get married and have children. We've shared before, Elon Musk has got strong feelings about that and has said, we're running out of workers. And the reason he made that statement within the last year is because polls show that just a short four years ago, 2018, early 2019, 63% of those in this country in the childbearing ages, the typical childbearing ages of 29 to 42, 3, said they intended to have children. And that has dropped now significantly to around 40%. And that's a problem. When you start doing the math of attrition, uh, that that is a problem that many across the spectrum of disciplines are concerned about. Sociologists, finances, finance people... Uh, of course, government, especially when you think about, you know, relating it to economic terms, when you've got these defined benefit plans like Social Security at the federal level, PERS at the state level, 
which totally rely on workers to pay into the systems to fund the benefits to those retired. Absolutely. And when the numbers start to shift in the other direction where you got an outsized number of people receiving benefits relative to people paying in, that, of course, causes a financial problem for those systems. When Social Security was, was uh, created back in the 30s, the ratio of workers to retirees, 100 to 1. Now it's 1.3 to 1, by the way. Wow. Yeah, that's how far it's dropped. And some of that's because we obviously live a whole lot longer than we did at the time Social Security was created, enacted in the 30s. Um, and just because our population is aging, mm-hmm. and we're not reproducing as as much, so these are real problems that um, China has seen fit to to now pay their citizens to yeah. reproduce. I mean, just complete opposite of what they practiced for decades to try to keep the population the, down. The one child policy, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you think about families that you know. How many young families that you know have? Two kids or less. Yeah. It's the majority of it's them, It's the majority, really. yeah. And you think about it, a, a, a couple gets married. Well, that's two people. They reproduce. They have two people. Right. You're staying even. Just staying at breaking even. Right. Zero population growth in that in that respect. So it's a, kind of a fascinating topic to stay uh, stay on. And uh, But China, this is recently announced. And, and they've got these materials, which... It's not what I think about when I when I when it comes to mind. What is the Chinese um, culture looks like? But these materials actually feature um, Chinese citizens in like a family set setting: husband, wife, traditional family, boy and girl, child, and it they're all smiley and sort of hip looking. I just don't think about that when I think of China, and maybe that's on me. Maybe I my yeah. my perception is incorrect. I'm, I'm thinking more about op- oppressive communism, and typically when you see, if you think about it, images of China, usually video images, it's usually the military marching in the goose step in the squares with giant rockets yeah. behind them. That's usually what you see, or Jinping, right? He's the face of China. You don't often see. Video, images, pictures, photos, etc. of just the rank-and-file Chinese citizens. But in this, it's like, this looks pretty Western, honestly, you know, in this yeah. setting, and like they're on a couch in the house. I'm looking at it right now, and they're so happy. Like, really? And, and I hope that's the case. I really do. But that's what they're trying to promote. You can be like these people. That's the whole purpose of advertising with images, right? I had some family who went to China before COVID uh, to, just to, for vacation, and... The thing they told me was that it's very – the places that they were in. Of course, China's a huge country, very diverse as far as the landscape, but uh, it was very urban. Yeah. A lot of tall buildings, apartment buildings that all look the same. Uh, everybody's kind of in their spot. And, you know, w- here, you know, you, when you, you buy a house and you have, you know, two-car garage and, you know – three bedrooms and two and a half baths and all this kind of they don't have that it's very very tiny and small and everybody's kind of in there it's kind of over the years that one child policy for three people a, a, a dad a mom and a, a child yep they fit into that I, i'm kind of interested to see how china is going to grow over the years if people move out to the country a little bit more yeah so i have a friend that um 
actually adopted a son from China that says the really? yeah the one child rule only applied to families with one parent working for the government. I didn't know that. Oh, really? Said that he learned this when he was going through the adoption process in China. That's interesting. Said they saw the report that India's population is outstripping China. I saw that as well, that yeah. India is expected to become the most populous nation fairly soon and overtake China in that in that rank. And said that... Uh, they're concerned that they will begin to take away China's sort of dominance in manufacturing, labor-intensive type manufacturing, and uh, that's their concern. So, does it surprise me? Already it's, seeing that Apple has moved that's a right. lot of their operations over to India. And I think I caught a report, Will, that um, that Amazon is about to spend like twelve billion on expanding Amazon Web Services, their cloud services in India, seeing a, a huge demand for the services, probably because we got more manufacturing moving yeah. over there. And so the manufacturing, of course, needs the uh, cloud services that AWS provides, and they're going to invest a whole bunch of money uh, over there. So maybe a trend. You want to you wanna talk to our buddy John Fetterman? Yeah, coming we'll, up? we'll get him. Yeah, we'll get him on the line. <laughs> we Back. He's the, got some things he needs to get off his chest. The great senator from Philadelphia. you got to stick around for that one, folks. We're in the Element Well Studios today. Stay with us. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Keep rolling. Three, two, one. On Super Talk Mississippi. Doobie Brothers bumping us into this segment here on Middays. By the way, Will, someone asked us, and I apologize for not sharing this information. How do you sign up for our Super Talk Mississippi newsletter? It's supertalk.fm slash newsletter. Very easy to understand. Very much so. Supertalk.fm slash newsletter. I do truly encourage you to do so. I think you'll enjoy it. So uh, it's very clear what that is. Supertalk.fm slash newsletter. Yep. Uh, what's not very clear is uh, our good friend, <laughs> uh, the hoodie wearing senator, who doesn't wear the hoodie. You know, Fetterman doesn't wear the hoodie when he's there. Right. Not on the floor. He's got. He wears a suit. He does have a suit. Of course, I, you know, the anal retentive in me wants to go straighten his tie out because his tie is always off to the side and about three inches below <laughs> the button on his collar. It looks kind of silly. Uh, and his, by the way, his sleeves uh, go about on his knuckles. Somebody needs to tailor his dang suits. 
Yeah. But uh, please share with us this uh, the sound. All right. Let's see what he's uh, talking about. Is it about. staggering? Is it a staggering responsibility that uh, the, that the head of a bank could literally could literally crash our economy? It's astonishing. That's like if you have. I mean, like, uh, and mm-hmm. and they also realize is that 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 now they have it's in a guaranteed a guaranteed way to be saved by no again by no matter no by by how you know so it's it's you know yeah. isn't it appropriate that the those kinds of the, this kind of control should be more stricter uh huh to prevent this kind of thing from going or should we just go on and start bailing and sailing whoever bank regardless of how Salem, how yeah. or, or, there's their conduct is yeah. <laughs> you know, I'll give you an example uh, the Republicans want to give a, a work requirement for snap you know for a, 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 a hungry family has to, to have these this kind of penalties or these some kinds of word working uh, required shouldn't you have a working requirement after we sell your bank with billions of your bank? Because they seem to be more pre- preoccupied uh, when than SNAP uh, and requirements for works for hungry people, but not about pr- protecting the tax the tax papers. You know that will bail no matter whatever does about a bank to crash it. Okay, sad. So the reason why, yeah, we're playing that is because. You you heard that. Everybody just heard that. Here's how the Washington Post, here's how a Washington Post uh, reporter uh, summarized that. He says, uh, Senator John Fetterman to uh, banking executive Greg Becker, quote, shouldn't you have a working requirement after we bail out your bank? Republicans seem to be more preoccupied with SNAP requirements for hungry people than protecting taxpayers that have to bail out these banks. Not what he said. So not at all what he said. So the problem here is that the Washington Post uh, rushed to tweet what Fetterman's office told him, told them, released that the senator said. Not quote as a quote, but that's not what he said. When you're gonna quote somebody. In the news like that, as a journalist, it needs to be exact if you encapsulate it in quotes. And that's not what he said. You heard it. He struggled with the word bail and said sail twice mm-hmm. in that video and had a whole bunch of uh, 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 uhs, which need to also be included, right, Will, in quotes as a journalist when you're quoting someone. I mean, what he said, somebody went and actually took out what he said. He said, shouldn't you have some kind of, and I'm taking out a lot of the uhs and ahs and you know, shouldn't you have some kind of working required after we sell your bank uh, billions of your bank because you seem we were preoccupied uh, when uh, then SNAP uh, requirements for works for uh, hungry people, but not about pro, right? Protecting the tax tax papers, you know that will bail them out of whatever does about a bank to crash it, right? That's W I L will not wheel and tax papers. If you caught that, so clearly the man 
is still ill, in my view. Yes. And what's sad here is that he's sitting in the U.S. Senate. That's a problem. And so while Democrats are demanding that George Santos, Republican member of the House, resign because he lied rather extensively, that's been proven. And I agree, he did. And it's ridiculous. It's despicable. But they don't say anything about any calls for Fetterman maybe to step aside because he's not capable of really fulfilling his obligation. The same is with Senator Feinstein, who says she's been at work working the last three months. That's what she said uh, a couple of days ago. She hasn't been, of course. That's who's running the government, folks. It's kind of scary. It's time for a break here. It's top of the hour. That means Fox News and Super Talk News up next. And then Clifton Carroll, executive director of the Skills Foundation in the Element Well Studios. Welcome to the show that challenges you to think deeply, to think deeply. and look beyond political posturing. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Hour two of Middays, live from the Element Wealth Studios. And it is Friday Eve, as Rhino would say. Will Easton for the vacationing Rhino today. Joining us now, Executive Director of the Skills Foundation of Mississippi, Clifton Carroll. Clifton, thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. All right, so tell us about the Skills Foundation. What is uh, the organization's mission? What does it do? So the Skills Foundation is a nonprofit founded several years ago for the purpose of increasing Mississippi's supply of skilled workers. Um, you know, sectors like manufacturing, energy, healthcare, IT, logistics, transportation. Uh, Mississippi has a shortage of workers in these fields. We know they pay good wages. We know that these are the targets in economic development. Um, and our mission is to, especially through the use of communication messaging, try and encourage more people to go into these careers. How is the organization funded? The organization is funded through public and private means, so we apply for grants. We've been fortunate to get an appropriation from the legislature several times, um, and we raise private donations as well. Gotcha. So we uh, we learned of some high school students at Petal in Hattiesburg High Schools, Hattiesburg High, who have been awarded some uh, some financial assistance, right? Tell us about that. That's right. So um, we, we call them signing bonuses. Um, a lot of programs and things like healthcare and manufacturing, the costs are already covered. Um, and so what we did is we had students um, in Petal and, and Hattiesburg High School's CTE programs uh, send in applications um, talking about what they're going to be going into. Um, and through that, we um, we gave signing bonuses to 14 students, uh, amounts of $250 and $1,000, for the purpose of uh, taking the pressure off the ancillary costs, things like transportation, books, food, that sort of thing. And would this be transportation, uh, books, food, 
for the skills training that they're going to complete? That's right. Um, so just all the ancillary things that come with going into um, you know skills training, uh, whether it's at a community college or an on-the-job training um, or a stand-up program. Okay. So the, the training programs that you guys support, is that where they're mostly conducted? Is on community college campuses or where else? The majority uh, are definitely in community colleges. Um, you know, a lot of uh, these folks are going to Pearl River Community College, which yeah. is a really good college down there. Um, and and they're very good at uh, assessing the needs of the community and the business community and uh, expanding or standing up programs that directly correspond to those jobs. Very important to have that flow of communication between the private sector to understand and the education community to understand what the private sector needs in terms of skills to fill the jobs that they have available or that they are creating. Oh, there's no doubt. And that communication is increasing, um, and it is something that is vital if we are going to start and chip to, to chip away at the workforce problems that we have in the state. What do the employers say about the work that you guys are doing? Um, they've been very, very receptive. Uh, we, uh, we're, we're currently doing this campaign called Skills That Pay uh, just in the Hattiesburg community now. We want to expand it, but, um, but it has been great, the response um, from, uh, you know, the area development partnership down there, local officials, uh, businesses, um, all sorts of people have been very welcoming and supportive of our efforts, and we, we intend to stay there and continue that work. Yeah, just looking at your board of directors, and uh, it's really a, a good cross-section of folks from the private sector, from uh, from industry, and from associations that uh, are responsible for promoting economic growth, economic development, such as uh, John McKay is an example. He's been on the program many times. He's president and CEO of the Mississippi Manufacturers Association. Uh, and, and a lot of others, economic developers as well, that are on the ground hearing from prospective uh, businesses that are looking to locate or expand in Mississippi. Uh, number one thing that comes up all the time is uh, availability of skilled workforce. And so they hear, okay, well, what? how many do you need? What kind of skills do you need? And if you've got, I assume, people then that are guiding your organization, people like that on your board, providing that input so that um, you can act accordingly. That's right. We've been very fortunate to have uh, great leaders uh, on our board, people who do represent uh, large businesses, economic development organizations, uh, associations like you mentioned, um, who are very plugged in to the business community, um, but also the political scene. And so they're able to um, kind of help uh, with things at the Capitol in terms of workforce development. Um, one of the, the biggest accomplishments I see that we've done in the past few years is the creation of Accelerate Mississippi. Yep. Um, and I don't think that would have gotten done without a lot of those players. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Ryan Miller. And uh, we've we've uh, had him on the program many times and, and always enjoyed learning about that. You know, I, I point this out anytime the subject of workforce development comes up, uh, but the community at East Mississippi Community College is, is something that really impressed me and uh, felt like it, it serves as a bit of a model, a template, I think, for collaboration between the private sector, the education domain, uh, to prepare people for the jobs that are available. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that? I think that's exactly right. Um, and, you know, we the state has, just like other states, have always kind of done things in a certain way. Um, and as technology has progressed, as jobs have changed, um, and as just the way that we train people have changed, yeah. things like the community that are 
um, flexible. They can quickly respond to industry need. Uh, I think you're going to see more of that throughout the state. Um, we have a lot of good pockets of really good stuff going on. Uh, the challenge is to try and get that everywhere throughout the state um, where there are organizations that can respond specifically to that region's needs because yeah. every part of the state is a little bit different. Clifton, we just uh, shared some information about uh, retirees now that are returning to the workforce uh, just to, to make the economics of their household a, a little better. Are you starting to see that, where they're coming to you guys maybe and looking for skills? We haven't actually seen that, but but that's very encouraging. Um, you know, as as Mississippi's labor force participation rate continues to lag, mm-hmm. as, as the whole country's yeah. is, um, and and also factors like inflation, I think you're going to see more people start to return to the workforce. Well, that's what they said in the report, in the survey, uh, and I can't remember the organization, but it's one that uh, studies those sorts of, of uh, trends in society, in the workforce. And that's exactly what they said, is that they're all saying, yeah, we, we thought maybe we could do this. We sold our house during COVID when, the, when the prices were at a premium. Uh, but now we learn that's not enough to, to make ends meet for the long term. We're going back to work. And inflation has, of course, chewed up a lot of what they uh, were able to produce in terms of income and even one-time events like that. So, But they need to be upskilled. That's right. Um, and, and you know, any populations returning or joining the workforce is good for it's the good. state. Sure. And it's good for the country it as is. well. It is. Absolutely. Um, and, and, you know, I think uh, – especially with things like customizable training that's increasingly going on, you're going to see more people who are who are able to identify uh, opportunities that, that fit what they are interested in and what they can do. Um, and so, you know, retirees, they're going to be able to upskill more easily because of the work that's being done um, to reshape the way that we train people. What about soft skills? We hear that a lot from employers. Geez, we need people that just have the basic soft skills, right? Oh, it's it's a it's a huge thing, um, and it's a it's a tough problem to tackle. But but we have seen it done. Um, you know, there are places down on the coast that have had success. Um, it's just something that takes a concerted effort. It's not going to happen organically, um, but it's certainly something that needs to be tackled because it is a real barrier for both businesses and those trying to find work. Yeah, no no doubt about it. Uh, I I can't help but think about the famous movie A League of Their Own, where they've required. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever seen that before. It's about the girls' professional baseball league during the war in World War II, but they sent them off to charm school to learn all sort of those those soft skills. And it's kind of what's going on here is that you you've got to have that balance. Mm-hmm. And those employees that possess the technical skills and the technical know-how to do the job, but also have those uh, very valuable soft skills, they tend to be the most productive. Uh, have the best work ethic, the most loyal. I think employers would would uh, share that view as well. We we've heard from employers many many times where we just need people who are going to show up, who mm-hmm. know how to operate and and behave in a work setting, things like that. And and there are opportunities to make decent money, uh, and and then uh, move up and make very good money. Sure. Um, but those soft skills are necessary. You, I mean, the you know, knowing that you got to show up to work and that you have to you know behave a certain way, dress a certain way, talk a certain way. I mean, these things are learned skills, um, and it's important that we we start to try and chip away at that. No doubt about it. Uh, reliability is uh, 
is certainly a, a huge skill and, and a huge asset that a person can have, and it will take them far. Reliability, character, and integrity for sure. No oh, doubt about it. Absolutely, especially for things like upward mobility. No doubt about it. Clifton, uh, appreciate it and uh, enjoyed learning about the Skills Foundation in Mississippi. Well, thank appreciate you for having it. me We'll on. talk soon. Thanks a lot. We're coming right back, folks. Stay with us. It's the only Middays with Gerard Gibbert. What? What? This is so awesome. On Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Middays live from the Element Wealth Studios. Once again, if you missed it, uh, you can sign up for the Super Talk Mississippi uh, News Mississippi newsletter. How do you do that, Will? supertalk.fm slash newsletter. Very easy to remember and sign up. I think you, uh, again, would enjoy it. You ever see a league of their own? Oh, movie? yeah. It's awesome. One of my it? favorites. It's a great movie. Kind of based in, in history. Yeah. And we're not talking about the series that came out a few right. months ago that's kind of crazy, but that, the actual movie itself, uh, Gina Davis, Madonna's in right. it, Rosie O'Donnell, Tom Hanks, yep. the alcoholic uh, <laughs> manager. <laughs> Dozens of people are here to see you play together. That's always oh. one of my favorites. But um, when they sent him off to charm school, Oh yeah, <laughs> it's, it's just and that really did happen. It's gracefully and grandly. Remember that they're teaching them how to walk she's, and she's walking around. She's looking at each of them. Oh good, oh nice. Yeah, a little work here, and then she goes, oh, play a lot of night games. <laughs> oh gosh, that was awesome. I couldn't help but think about just how important. It's so true. Just the basic. Hey, show up for work on time. Soft skills are. Um, and appearance is still important. It really yeah. is. Now, everybody may not uh, possess uh, Adonis-like looks, right? And um, as a as a male, or pick a female in history that was known for being uh, might not be Helen of Troy. There but, you yeah. go. That's a good one. That'll work. But that's irrelevant. You can still be groomed, nice, and and, and dress at least. Um, in a uh, professional way, depending on the job, of course, depending on the job. But your appearance does tell a lot about you and your personality, often in your character, I think. But uh, and just being respectful to people and knowing how to interact with people. And uh, just like Clifton said, you know, if you can't take care of a job as just a a line worker, you're probably, if you can't be trusted there, you're probably not going to ascend the ranks and be entrusted with managing others or have more responsibility economically, managing more assets, if you will. Very important. And uh, I don't know the extent to which that gets conveyed in school 
But based on feedback from employers, it seems like it's lacking. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, it doesn't seem like it's being conveyed in the home, which is where it should be taught, mm-hmm. honestly. And I think uh, most people that were fortunate to have parents that did um, impress upon them the value of those skills and, and of course, passed on to them, usually from their parents. You know, it's generational, passed on to them. Those sorts of skills, really important. My, my dad, who had the fifth grade education, but was the smartest guy I knew, honestly, and had interpersonal skills to die for, way better than mine. He, he taught shake someone's hand, and of course, firm handshake, but to remember their name, and you know, Carnegie says the sweetest sound to a person to the human ear is their own name. Mm-hmm. That was in the 50s when Dale Carnegie came up with that, which I think still obviously applies today and is applied throughout the history. Cla- Remember, you could take those classes. I took them. Yeah. I absolutely took them. I took the, the management seminar, two of them, from Carnegie when it was offered classes here. I don't know if they still are, if there's a someone that represents Carnegie. But my father said, shake hands and repeat the person's name when they introduce themselves to help you remember it. And then he said, just as you're about to release hands, your hands in the handshake, repeat it again as a question. Will, right? Like that. Mm -hmm. So, pleased to meet you, Will. Will, right? So, it like, get that in your head. Carnegie teaches, come up with something to rhyme with the name. I don't know if you've heard that. That's the, That was taught in the management I, seminar. I read that book. It was many, many years. I was in college when I read it, but I read that book. and Yeah, he had all kinds of little tricks, yeah. you know, and he used analogies. I love using analogies to describe stuff, but he, he would talk about the dog. Why Why do we have dogs around? What did, What good did – I mean, I'm sure people use them for maybe hunting or, you know, some sort of skill or, you know, blind people may use them as a seeing eye dog. But really, what, what do they offer? Yeah. They're companionship. Yeah, they no smile doubt. when they see you. No doubt about they it. They wag their tail. All the time. Fiercely loyal. Yeah. Yeah, without waiver. So in his, in his book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, still widely read today, says, and I'll read them for you here, the ultimate guide to becoming more influential at work or anywhere else, in parentheses, listen without interruption. Right. Act with integrity. Do what you say you're going to do. Give others a voice. Take care of yourself. Be relevant with your skills. That's the value creation that we talk about on this program all the time. Stay focused on what matters. And finally, engage with others. Still holds true today. Mm-hmm. More than ever, honestly, we, we need to practice uh, what Carnegie teaches here. How to win friends and influence people. That's just so awesome. Um, and it applies across the range of disciplines and jobs in society, whether it's public sector or private sector. All Those are just simple Simple, I think, rules, guidelines to to live by in, in your work environment. And honestly, in your life in general, acting with integrity, do what you say you're going to do, that applies to anything. Yeah. Listening without interruption. So when I went to work for Anderson back in, 
right out of college before they started shredding documents, as I like to say. Um, (laughs) But so they only hired folks right out of college back then. The idea was we don't want you to have worked anywhere else. We're, We're going to model you, indoctrinate you, so to speak, into our system, our business model, our culture, our business philosophy, and you're still impressionable when you're right out of college. You're still learning. You're in that mode, right? And that was their theory. And so besides learning all the the technical aspects when you go away to their Center for Professional Development up in St. Charles, Illinois, world-renowned, besides learning the technical aspects that uh, were appropriate for your level in the firm at that time, there would also be at least a day on just interpersonal skills. And they literally had a contract with the Chicago-based psychology firm, that, and that was their specialty. They had a practice in just um, um, interacting and engagement and conducting oneself in the workplace to develop your skills in that regard, these so-called soft skills. So the very first, the very first training workshop you attended as part of that, how to listen. Mm -hmm. There was a whole day on how to listen. Effective listening techniques. Something you never thought about. I never learned prior to that. And it kind of started out with, you know, you may be really a, a big deal back in college with your GPA and your other accomplishments and so forth. That's great. But you know what? Sit down, shut up. You don't know anything. <laughs> that I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but that's that was kind of the message. And it, it almost seemed juvenile, the techniques they taught you on how to listen, but it wasn't. Mm-hmm. And it was effective. And it worked. Mm-hmm. And uh, just just a simple act like my dad taught of just repeating things when people would explain them to you, especially if they were if they were assigning you a task. Okay, now repeat what I just assigned you. And remember, back then you didn't have all the email and the documents that self documenting systems we have today. It was all done verbally, orally. Okay, I'm going to do this, this, this. Yeah. <laughs> okay, you got it. You know, and it was. It was as much to for the manager assigning you the task to to be confident you understood the task rather than you just going off, oh, no, that's not what you're supposed to do. You've seen that in the workplace all the time. Mm-hmm. Still happens. So digressing a little bit, uh, but it's it's something I thought worth touching on because we seem to have lost the focus of the need for that. And you heard Clifton say it. We've had Ryan Miller talk about it. Everybody out there that's involved in in the world of employers seeking employees all says that. Yeah, we need not only the technical skills and those aptitudes, but we need people that can just get along with others and do what they say they're going to do, like Carnegie said 70 years ago. We are taking a break right here. Interesting discussion there. Ira Melman coming up at 12.05, the media director for the Federation for American Immigration Reform, and a lot more talk. Stay with us.
Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for joining us. The C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. We are in the Element Wealth Studios, and uh, so in a league of their own, it was Marla. Somebody asked if it was um, when uh, the, the, the teacher there at the charm school was going down the line and suggested uh, to... Uh, the representative of the team, what do you suggest? <laughs> Improving their looks. Here you go, listen up. The hair, soften and shorten. The eyebrows, thin and separate. There should be two. <laughs> mm-hmm. Very nice. Very nice. Lovely. What do you suggest? Night games. <laughs> <laughs> that would be Marla, who uh, remember could really pound the baseball, but kind of kind of homely looking. And of course, it's uh, what was her name? Ellen Sue was in the lineup. Very nice. And Kit, the the pitcher. Yeah. Gina Davis's, who played Dottie, sister. It was kind of about them, right? Uh, <laughs> Betty Spaghetti was the first one, said just cut the hair. And then, what's her name from, was it Renee? Uh, I think was the left fielder, maybe. I think was from Canada that had the eyebrows that came because it used to be two. <laughs> That's so good. But it was Marla Hooch was her name. <laughs> A lot of night games. <laughs> uh, oh, gosh. So, Mose, yes. Yeah, no, it wasn't Rosie O'Donnell. She wasn't actually featured in that in that scene. Uh, Moe, she wasn't in, in the lineup there, uh, who played, of course, Doris Murphy. What a great cast. What a great movie, though. Really is a really good cool. movie. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. So uh, somebody said, is it okay to address someone younger than you? Oh, it, it's okay. It is okay to address someone younger than you as sir or man. Okay. I, sure. You know, I don't, I don't see how you can go wrong with that, I guess. It seems like you could always err on being more respectful, more professional, greater decorum. And to find someone who actually wants to work is rare, says Matt in West Point. I I really do feel like, Will, that to a great extent, that sentiment's being engendered by our government. That, you know, they're pushing like four or four day work week. And, you know, just crazy leave benefits and stuff like that, pushing that. Uh, Now we've got the Democrats announced yesterday they're seeking $14 trillion in reparations. $14 trillion at the federal level in reparations and all the other benefits that could be received. And there just seems to be more of a diminishing of the value of work. And I think, too, especially with younger people, is they don't want to – not everyone, obviously. Yeah. But they don't want to do the work that that you have to do to get to that level 
Yeah. Know, they the, Coming out of college, they want the $100,000 job. Yeah. And don't want to do the or, – or high school, whatever they come out of. And they don't want to do the $20 an hour job that you have to do to eventually get to that. And have lots of free time, time off as well. So I want the high salary, but I don't want to work as hard sort yeah. of deal, which is a, kind of a, a a toxic mix there. And this you know, idea, we've talked about it many times on the program, of so-called delayed gratification is, is seen by the left as rooted in white European colonization sort of stuff. That, oh yeah, delayed gratification, no, that's, that's really not, not considered virtuous these days. Mm-hmm. And that's a problem. When you're, when you're imparting that <laughs> sentiment, that viewpoint on young people, then they think, well, I got to have it all now, and that's just so wrong and so upside down. Definitely a, a big old problem. From the seven habits, seek first to understand, then to be understood. Charles and Matheson says, "Great topic, sir." Yeah, appreciate that. Yeah, agree, and that I think that goes back, Charles, to just the art of listening, uh-huh. learning how to listen, and most people, I would argue, and this is what we were taught. While someone else is talking, rather than listening, you're sort of conjuring up what you're going to say next. They're not focusing on what they're really telling you. That's exactly right. Yeah. And so what's, what you're taught is to, to really ba- balance your, your brain so that you're listening and you're comprehending, and kind of in the background you're thinking about what your response or your next statements may be. Yeah. H- hard to do, and it's I think it's human nature to jump ahead and think about, i got to get my point out. And that's the gotcha stuff that's going on. Uh, and so, social media, too, I would say, Gerard, yeah. because a lot of people are not communicating person to person. They're looking at a text or a, a tweet or a Facebook post, and they're communicating that way, and you lose a lot through that. Totally disrespectful. I, I am so pleased to report that when I went to, up to Ole Miss two weeks ago with the accounting students, in the breakout sessions, three sessions, 15 each, and then the general session, 140 attended. So honored, honestly. Nobody on their phones. Nobody looking away. Everybody that showed up that came into the breakout sessions, juniors and seniors, which was most of them, all, all came dressed professionally, all totally zoned in on whomever was speaking. Mostly me. It was... And I was asking questions and interacting with them while sort of sharing some background. I was just so impressed with that, that they possess what I would say are the soft skills. All on time. All on time. Nobody showed up late for the big session. All paid attention the entire time. Zoned in. Not wandering. Not sleeping. <laughs> which uh, would have been a sign that I wasn't doing very well, honestly. Yeah. And not on their phones. Mm-hmm. So they were focused on what was going on, the main thing, which was there's somebody that's speaking. And my guess is that's the way they are in the classroom, which is why they'll do well, which yeah. is why I think the employers are falling all over themselves to hire them, which is why they all got jobs right now yeah. before they graduated. So somebody did well. i I, I got to believe that you could attribute most of that to their home home life. Mm-hmm. So, some, of course, to their experience on campus and the faculty, I think is similar to that. 
uh, as well, and, and their understanding of the need to, for their students to possess those skills, not just the technical aspects of accounting. Um, I never forget a partner back at Anderson when I worked said, you know, we don't need people that we have to put in a closet and shove the work under the door to. <laughs> so he said. And it, it's right. I mean, that's so true. Yeah. If you think about it, especially when you think about these folks being sent out to their clients' locations, interacting with client people, and uh, that says more and I think accounts for more of the reputation and the quality of the firm than just the technical aspect of preparing a financial report. Sure, that's got to be right, and it's got to be done in accordance with, with standards, but if you can't present that, for example, to the client and interact with them, doing field work and so forth, you're not going to go for it. And I'm focused on that because it's just recent, but that applies across the spectrum yeah. of jobs and disciplines. I think patience is another thing. No doubt. Is that on both sides, You know, whether you're the boss and the employee or the, the customer and the client or the shopper and the retail person at the work in the store – uh, is patience has just eroded over the past decade, really, maybe even longer than that. But it seems like it's gotten worse and worse on both sides. Is you know when you go to a to a fast food line, you know, and it takes forever. You just lose your patience if it takes five minutes for them to prepare your hamburger. Yeah, I people, agree. People don't have patience anymore. No, we want everything instant, and uh, we want everything to be one hundred percent right all the time. And there's, we just don't give anybody any slack whatsoever for any any just mistakes or inadvertent mistakes. You know, I, you, you know the old, uh, I can't remember where from whence it comes. The quote to air is human. Yeah, was that Shakespeare? I don't know. Probably. Um, but I used to say to air is human, but to make the same mistake twice is stupid. Once you make that error, that's fine. I got it. But don't do it again. Right? You learn. You know now. And uh, I used to use that in coaching kids in baseball. You know, it's I'm not talking about physical errors. I'm talking about you didn't do what you were taught from a mechanical, mental perspective. There's no excuse for that. You know, the physical stuff, you gave it your all and you just didn't get it done. Yeah, no problem with that. Never would I jump on a kid for that. But, some, yeah. you know, but the, the mental part of it, which you can control, which is one of the few things you can in baseball – you got to get that right, especially after you made that mistake. And we've talked about it. And we in the same in business. It's the exact same situation in business. Indoctrination to their work culture, such as Marines and the U.S. Army does to the young and impressionable, says Reese and Clarksdale. Hmm. I hear you. We're coming right back. We got another segment in this hour, and then Ira Melman, media director with the Federation for American Immigration Reform, at twelve oh five. Please stay with us. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. All right, we are back on Super Talk Mississippi. I went to a garden party to reminisce with my old friend. A chance to share old memories. 
to the garden party. Ah, yes, the great Ricky Nelson. That's one of my favorites right there. It's good, isn't it? He, of course, from the popular Ozzy and Harriet show, the 50s. One of the first multimedia stars. That's true. TV. Yeah. I think he did some uh, some movies. He did. And then, of course, music, which, to be honest with you, had some great, great songs. And today he's kind of forgotten about. Yeah. You don't hear him on oldie stations or hear his music a whole lot. The um, That one, um, Garden Party, probably one of his... And really, I think his last big hit, you know, he died what, in a plane. I think he died in a plane crash. Seems like he? it, yeah. Yeah. And there was the, the other one was... Um, Mary Lou. Hello, Mary Lou. Yeah, I'm thinking about the one where he talks about traveling around and meeting, having girlfriends in all these various places. I, I can't remember. It's been a long time since I heard it. Yeah, that seemed like that was a pretty big one. Somebody reminds of the uh, the quote from from uh, yeah William and Brandon. Nothing beats Jimmy Dugan, of course, played by Tom Hanks in A League of Their Own, saying, "I, lo- I loved you in The Wizard of Oz." That's what he says when he's driving the bus with the chaperone. Remember, she did favor the witch, The Wizard of Oz. Oh gosh, it's so great. Yes, yeah, the folks were telling us it was um, Marla Hooch. Yeah, I think we got that. We got that squared away as Marla. <laughs> a lot of night games. Uh, Sam from Mount Hermon asked, Hello, Gerard, what company had those classes in St. Charles, Illinois? Yes, yeah, so that's um, – it was Arthur Anderson and Company, the one of the big eight accounting firms at the time. I worked, uh, Sam, in the consulting division. I kind of deviated from the norm of an accounting grad – to um, not go into public accounting, and Anderson would hire graduates straight into their consulting division that focused on um, development of uh, big, large-scale information systems. There was no software, very little software you could buy off the shelf back then, so if you wanted to computerize your, your organization, you would have to develop software from scratch, typically on mainframe computers, and um, Anderson, for example, created the first system, much of which is still in use, believe it or not, by the IRS, hmm. by Social Security. It would take on those kinds of projects that nobody else could or would do. High-risk, high very difficult, complicated undertakings. And um, I worked for a little over two years on a project we built from scratch for the state of Louisiana, it was the pension system, what the equivalent of our PERS here. Mm-hmm. In, in Louisiana, they have two different systems, one for state employees, one for education employees, which included teachers, school lunch workers, and school workers like the custodians and so forth. They had three separate funds just for the, for the school workers, education workers, and then everybody else was in the other fund. I don't know why. It's just the way it was. And the UEP long things, probably. It could be. But the obviously the education funds were considerably larger than the the rest of uh, those employees, state employees funds, the, the standard per system. And we built that from scratch. This is automating lots, what you're doing. And I spent about two and a half years there. 
uh, doing that. And Anderson said, hey, this is great. Because of what you guys did there, we have now used that as a model, and we've sold similar projects to California and Oregon and Wisconsin and New York. And, Gerard, your ticket to partner, which is what you, which is the highest level in those firms, they're general partnerships. That's, you don't make any money until you get there. It takes 12 years or so. It's to visit these state capitals <laughs> implementing these retirement systems and I literally commuted between Oregon, that was the first one, and Baton Rouge, wrapping up Baton Rouge system, Oregon, in Portland. I did that um, for about a year. And I said, I don't think I want to see every state capital. And that's when I decided to come back home. So it's the Center for Professional Education, Sam. You could go Google it. It's legendary. Uh, I don't know what it's used for today, but they would fly in. They're, they're workers from all over the world. They had offices all over the world, whether you're in, in my division, the consulting division, or auditor tax professional. And you would come in for training that was um, appropriate for your level in the firm. And you progress through that. And it was like, honestly, Will, it was like uh, about a year of college crammed into a week. But it was building on what you had learned in college. Was, yeah. You know, the first class was three weeks, um, and it was developing a program in System 370 Basic. It's called BAL, Basic Assembly Language, which is about as close to machine language as you can get. That was three weeks, grueling weeks. And if you failed, you were fired. Literally. That's the way it worked back then. We're taking a break. It's time for Fox News and Super Talk News. Ira Melman, Media Director of the Federation for American Immigration Reform, up next. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Hour three of Middays Live from the Element Wealth Studios. We are pleased to welcome Ira Melman, Media Director of FAIR. That's the Federation for American Immigration Reform. Ira, thanks for coming on. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Well, it's uh, been quite the, the week, the last week, certainly, at the border. And uh, Title 42, of course, expired the president seems to be boasting about the fact that the surge that was pre- predicted didn't really occur at the level predicted. What are your thoughts about that? Well, it's a little bit too early to take a victory lap here because the complete data are not in. What they are saying, and it's a very, very carefully worded statement, is that encounters with the Border Patrol have declined. But what we saw down there, we were down there last week as Title 42 came to an end, was that they were allowing people to come across the border uh, who had been vetted by the Office of Field Operations. Uh, These are people who turned themselves in on the other side of the border. And the Biden administration has been abusing the power of parole to let people who have no 
uh, legal right to enter the United States enter anyway under parole. Uh, you know, they claim that at some point these people, if their claims are not upheld, will be removed from the country, which is complete nonsense. They're never going to be removed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what we have to do is wait until the numbers uh, that the of encounters by the Office of Fields Operations. That, that's another division of the Department of Homeland Security. They're dealing with the people who show up uh, and use the phone app that they've been touting. Uh, and we, we saw them opening the gates in the wall and allowing large numbers of people to come through, uh, taking them away in buses and vans. So, yes, it may be true that the number of encounters with the Border Patrol has have declined, but it may well be true when the numbers come out uh, that those are more than offset by encounters with the Office of Field Operations. And are we not now discovering that a number of those who are crossing over are known terrorists? Yes, they have uh, flagged a few known terrorists over the past week or two, uh, and, you know, that should be scary enough. But what really ought to scare us is the fact that while the Border Patrol is tied up processing the people who are coming across the border or the Office of Field Operation, uh, they're tied up uh, dealing with people who use the app. The smuggling operations are bringing in drugs and other people uh, who don't want to be encountered by these, by any authorities because, uh, you know, they know that they will be turned back or put in jail. So, you know, what we don't know is how many people have come in uh, with these cartels that smuggle drugs into the country while the, the uh, Border Patrol personnel and other security personnel are tied up processing the hundreds of thousands of people who are coming across illegally. Uh, you know, the, the, you talk to the Border Patrol, they will tell you uh, that these cartels know what is going on. They're using the the people that they think will be released into the United States on parole uh, to as decoys. Hmm. While they're processing the, the people who uh, come across and they catch, they're bringing through all sorts of other stuff and other people uh, somewhere along the border with, that's not being patrolled. Right. I came across a report, Ira, that uh, indicated 16 known terrorists crossed into this country just in the month of April as compared to 11 in total during the Trump administration. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things we should keep in mind, it only took 19 terrorists to perpetrate 9-11. Yeah. Uh, And here you have 16 in one month. uh, And these were the ones that we know about. As I said, uh, it is highly likely that there are others that we don't know about, and we won't know about it until something goes boom. Uh, and then there will be a lot of questions asked and fingers pointed, but it all starts with the policies of this administration. Right. Secretary of Homeland Security Alejandro Mayorkas continues to maintain that the, that the border is, is closed, is secure, is protected. What do you think about that? I, you know... I, 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 you know, either he's living in an alternative universe uh, or, or he's flat out lying. Uh, you know, he is not a stupid man. Uh, he, he knows very well what the situation is at the border. So, you know, the, the most likely answer here is he is just flat out lying to the American people. Uh, when you have last week, they were they were uh, apprehending 10,000 people a day. Uh, you, you don't have 10,000 people a day coming across a secure border. Uh, and, hmm. it, again, this is what is happening. Because the Border Patrol is so tied up processing people rather than 
uh, enforcing the border. The border really is more wide open now than it has ever been. Uh, you do have the border security wall in certain places along the border where people can't get across, but you still have vast stretches of border that have no uh, security whatever. You know, at most, you know, a, a thin uh, fence separating the United States and Mexico. And, and that's where, you know, we, we should be worrying about all the people and, and contraband and drugs that are coming across. Uh, so, so, you know, Alejandro Mayorkas is just trying to sell the American public on something that isn't true. Uh, and, look, I think the American public uh, is not stupid either. We know what's going on. It's just so aggravating, honestly, because every time he goes before the American people and makes those statements, they're so ridiculous. He's so, out of, like you said, out of touch, out of tune. But it's, of course, inappropriate for a member of the president's cabinet really just to, to spread those sorts of untruths, in my view. Representative Debbie Wasserman Schultz, I'm sure you've seen that she and some other Democrats started lamenting this idea that, hey, if we uh, stem the tide at the border, or more importantly in her home state of Florida, more specifically I should say, where Ron DeSantis has implemented some some immigration reforms, we're not going to have anybody to pick our vegetables and our fruit. That just seems like racist on the surface at a minimum yeah i i mean i these are the same arguments you got from uh you know in the antebellum south defending the institution of slavery yeah. it, it was indefensible then it's indefensible now we actually have indentured servitude going on right yep. now uh it, it, that is a form of slavery the cartels who are smuggling people into the country are not doing it out of the goodness of their heart. Right. Uh, they are collecting huge fees from these folks. Uh, they don't have the money. They have to work it off once they're here. And so they are working to pay off these cartels. You have children working in dangerous jobs uh, in order to pay off the cartels. Uh, it, it is just abhorrent what is going on right now. It should be, it's a national disgrace. And it's a national disgrace that is facilitated by the policies of this administration. Unbelievable. Where do you see this going? Uh, I, I think I agree with you that we're not going to send these people back that are crossing into the country. What, what's going to be the, the ultimate disposition? Well, it, it's hard to know at this point. You know, the, if you come into the United States today and say, I want political asylum, uh, if they give you a notice to appear, and, and apparently they are now releasing people without even a, a notice to appear in court at some point in the future, uh, but even if you're one of those people that they give the notice to appear to, uh, we, we could be talking years. In some places in the country, uh, the notice to appear will be sometime in the 2030s. That's crazy. So you will have been... Yeah, you will have been here, you know, seven, eight, ten years uh, before you ever see the inside of a court, uh, assuming you do show up for the hearing at all. Uh, in the meantime, you will be establishing all sorts of other reasons why you should be allowed to remain here in the United States. So when Mayorkas tells us that, you know, now that we have uh, dispensed with Title 42, we're going to be putting people in removal proceedings under Title 8, which is the, the main uh body of immigration laws. Uh, He's not telling us when that is actually going to be executed. And the fact is, it's not going to be executed in any sort of meaningful time uh, that is going to result in any kind of deterrent for people breaking our laws. Yeah. we got just about a minute left, but Ira, where does your organization stand on amnesty for the Dreamers, for the DACA? 
You know, we have opposed amnesty in all forms. What we have seen over the years is if you grant people amnesty, it is simply encouraging more people to break laws. If you reward law-breaking, you're going to get more of it. And by the way, you know, the American public was promised after the last amnesty in 1986 that that was a one-time deal and that the government would get serious about enforcing our laws. Uh, We, the American people... uh, still have a debt that we expect to be paid by our government. They promised us something they haven't delivered. Hmm. They need to, to address the issues and the interests of the American people uh, before they even start thinking about, you know, which illegal aliens should get amnesty. Yeah, it's just a big old complicated mess that uh, doesn't seem like there's an easy resolution to, or that there's really even interest on the part of the Democrats in Congress to come to the table to work something out. They, it's kind of like Joe Biden on the debt ceiling. It's got to be a no-strings-attached deal. We just got to give everybody amnesty and open the porters up, which is untenable, unsustainable. Ira, appreciate yeah, I, you uh, I, joining us today. Yeah, go ahead. We got about thirty seconds. Oh, I was just going to—I was just going to say there was a time when Democrats at least paid lip service to the idea that we should secure our border. Now, now they're not even pretending. Yeah. Uh, so you know, I, I guess we can give them credit for honesty, but it's honesty <laughs> about a really bad policy. Appreciate it, Ira. Thanks for joining us, folks. We're taking a break right here. Coming right back in the Element Well Studios. Covering the stories that matter most to Mississippians. Gerard Gibbert. Middays with Gerard. Super Talk Mississippi. Oh, my sweet Fraulein down in Berlin town Makes my heart start to yearn And my China doll down in old Hong Kong Waits for my return There you go, the great Ricky Nelson. He would have got canceled for this song. I know. (laughs) That's exactly right. Oh, my gosh. I I always kind of... That and Garden Party are kind of the two big ones I usually associate with it. And I... I want to think that's like from 1961 that he actually performed it on the show because he would frequently mm-hmm. pick the guitar up and perform yeah. on the show. So, uh, And we had some folks that uh, when I was trying to think of the name of the song, texted in, appreciate that, Leo and McComb and a couple others, Traveling Man. Also on the ceasefire text line, someone says, just talking about workers, they need people skills. Agree. Totally agree. Recent Clarksdale said Mayorkas did this same divert and deny tactic when he was undersecretary of Homeland Security under Obama. It does seem to be kind of a trend with him (laughs) that's sort of built into his personality. It it is aggravating, though, to watch him just stand in front of the American people and say, the border's totally closed and secure and protected, and we're all over it, like... But what are you not seeing? I, I I feel like every time I hear him and see him say that, I just wish somebody would, you know, pull up a video screen and say that's secure because there's there are images, but maybe accurate to say that only Fox is actually capturing 
and publishing, airing. Is that video. guy's name Bill uh, McGurn? McGurn. That... He's the one that's been on top of Oh, he's right there. I mean, it's in the background. You just see him crossing through the river there and up the hills. And I was correct. It's indentured servitude. I also thought it was ridiculously bigoted, honestly, for these Democrats. And I heard a montage, which included Nancy Pelosi uh, and other Democrats. Who's going to clean our our uh, houses and our hotels? And who's going to pick our fruit and vegetables? So you're saying that all the immigrants, that they're just coming here to perform uh, that sort of labor? They can't do anything else? That we got to let them in so they can mm-hmm. do this? M- many of whom are being paid under the table in cash, less than minimum wage? Yep. And you're essentially condoning that? That doesn't make any sense to me. And, and it, But they say it in such a way that, oh, the folks that are immigrating, coming from these many countries, they are only capable of doing that kind of work. It just seems to me to be stereotyping, bigoted, but yet they're the ones that claim those of us on the right or white supremacists, that, that's just like blatant, yeah. egregious white supremacist language. It's what it sounds to me. And they're trying to, of course, put the blame at the feet of DeSantis that these new laws that he's he's implemented, signed off on. Senate Bill 1718 was signed by Governor DeSantis last week, and it just enforces penalties makes them more harsh for transporting undocumented immigrants into Florida. It invalidates their driver's licenses for those who can't prove legal status, requires hospitals that receive Medicaid to confirm patients' immigration status, and it allocates $12 bucks to send immigrants out of Florida, migrants out of Florida. I mean, it just sounds like common-sense stuff to me. Here's what uh, we're talking about, Debbie Walshman Schultz. Former head of the Democratic Party, yeah, right? Yeah, head of the uh, DNC. DNC, yeah. here's what she had to say. I believe this was yesterday. Yeah, yesterday. And, uh, Arizona did the same to uh, to their immigrants in their, in their state. He's going to devastate our economy. Tourism, construction, agriculture. I mean, you're going to have vegetables rotting in the fields. You're going to have construction sites that will lie dormant uh, or certainly will struggle to get workers to be able to uh, to, to, to help make sure that they can make progress. The tourism is it tourism and restaurant industry in particular, you know, rely on the, on these workers. <laughs> Boy, I tell you, that's I mean that's just like I said, that's just seems to me blatant bigotry. How could you not conclude that? If you were to that? put that same quote in eighteen sixty one or eighteen sixty Yeah, exactly. You know, that that's pretty bad. And this is on MSNBC and, of course, gets no pushback from the hosts. Right. I mean, that's, that's bias in all its splendor there, isn't it? I mean, how else do you describe it? But you're right. If someone on the right said anything remotely close to that, Again, stereotyping, pigeonholing someone as to only being capable of doing a certain kind of work based on um, their nationality, essentially. Mm 
That's what you're saying. Now, if they come from across the border from these other countries, they got to pick our vegetables and clean our houses. That's ridiculous. Vegetables rotting in the field. That's what, That's what yeah. she said. And and so all she's trying to do is say that if with DeSantis's law here that he just signed that the vegetables are going to rot in the fields, we won't have anything to eat, and it's Ron DeSantis' fault. That's what, essentially what she's trying to say. Not trying to say, it's what she is saying. Wow. I, on the ceasefire text line, I keep hearing that illegal immigrants will do the jobs that no one else will do. I thought that it was against the law for companies to hire illegals. I agree. Uh, that's on the ceasefire text line. But they do. I've always felt that one thing that would stem uh, and curb in, uh, illegal immigration into this country is to eliminate the minimum wage. And the reason I suggest that is because when they come here, they end up, many of them, doing those jobs that Wasserman Schultz just described for cash payment less than minimum wage. They do. Can't track it. And if we eliminated the minimum wage, it's just a theory on my part, well, then maybe the people that are unemployed and living off the largesse of the government would go to work and employers would hire them at less than minimum wage. But that would be in lieu of receiving your income from others who are funding it, essentially. Mm-hmm. And I think what would that would do is cause wages to also rise as a res- as a, naturally as a result without government mandating a minimum wage. It's just just a thought. That's racist against any other race it would be anyhow on the ceasefire text line. So it, it sure sounds like it. I mean, it, when you hear it, it sounds bigoted, sounds racist, but she does it with impunity, as you say, because uh, it was on the left-wing networks. Um, yeah, I recall Pelosi saying, this is William and Brandon, saying something similar to what DWS said, crickets from the Dems then, too. That's, that's right, William. And the montage I heard this morning, Will, did include Nancy Pelosi saying something to the same effect. Yeah, she said, uh, quote, we have a shortage of workers in our country. In Florida, some of the farmers and growers are saying, why are you shipping these immigrants up north? We need them to pick the crops down here. Good grief. What, yeah. what is this, 1863? Or uh, what it sounds like? Here's what Hank Johnson. Hank Johnson, Hammer always great for a quote. <laughs> He's the, uh, what was it, Guam was going to tip over because there's too many yeah, people on that's Hammer and Hank. Hammer and Hank Johnson. Uh, those folks coming across the border are the ones who are helping put uh, food on our table. <laughs> Without them, we are not going to be able to eat. <laughs> we would have we would have nobody taking care of the construction of our homes. Nobody cleaning up in the hospitals. Oh, my God. On, Hank. How can he get away with that? Hank. That just ain't right. Oh, uh, uh, here's, here's Tom, uh, I can't even pronounce his last name, uh, Malinowski. Yeah. From New Jersey. Yeah. It says illegal aliens are needed in the U.S. to, and I quote, mow our beautiful lawns. <laughs> wow. Oh, my gosh. You, sir, are a racist, is what you are for even saying that. <laughs> not, not work in the hospitals. He said cleaning, cleaning up cleaning in the up hospitals. In the <laughs> Golly. Grief. How do they get away with that? It just ain't right. I don't know how they get away with it. Um, 
So the I don't have the clip of it, but the race lady over there at uh, Morning Joy Reed, she had a couple of guests on this morning, including the Florida Democratic Party chair, and uh, went through that as well, said, I don't know who is going to be doing the picking of the fields during the harvest and who is building all these new homes for everybody who is moving to our state. They're all going to be gone, and he's going to have crippled, talking about DeSantis, our economy because he's got such a distaste and distrust for people that don't look like him. Yeah, but you want him to come here and clean the hospitals. Unbelievable. That's what you do. You come to the U.S. and we'll let you clean the hospitals. That's incredible. We'll let you pick our fruit. Good grief. It is. It's 1863 reborn. <laughs> Dusty Fell, one of my favorite female vocalists. We're coming right back with half an hour left in the Element Well Studios. With Gerard Gibbert. It is on. On Super Talk, Mississippi. Hot town, summer in the city. Back of my neck, getting dirt and gritty. Bend down, isn't it a pity? Doesn't seem to be a shadow in the city. All around. The loving spoonful. Walking on the sidewalk, hotter than a match once again, we're in the Element Well Studios. It sure seems like the FBI should have much bigger fish to fry than a few parents at school board meetings, says Robert and Brandon on the C Spire text line, or a few folks attending a church meeting. Just seems like bringing a sledgehammer to squash an ant. Well, it's it's politically motivated, Robert. That's the whole, I think, fundamental problem here is the concern over politicization and weaponization of these uh, law enforcement, I should say, institutions in the FBI and the Department of Justice. It's a serious concern. Jeff in Forest County says, you make it sound like the J6 convicted rabble-rouser convicted Sound like the J6 convicted rabble-rouser convicted dummies were innocent saints. Bad take. No, I didn't say that, uh, Jeff. Uh, I've um, expressed my views on that many times in in the past. If uh, people that that invaded that entered the Capitol on that day, if they broke the law, well, then they should be punished accordingly, charged and punished accordingly. But if they didn't, well, then they shouldn't be. And so, I think that. The problem I have, well, I don't think, the problem I have with the Democrats is that they have essentially deemed that everybody that was present is guilty by association, whether they did anything wrong or not. And video clearly shows that many individuals did enter the Capitol, and the Capitol Police sort of assisted them, directed them. Now, I don't support entering the Capitol necessarily as a way to redress your government, especially when they're in session and conducting business. I don't think that's wise, and I don't think you should go into a member of Congress's office, personal office, and ransack it. And again, if there are laws broken to that effect, well, then fine. But this protracted detention that some have experienced without really receiving the um, their constitutional right 
to, to uh, a trial or, or rapid justice and disposition, well, that's a problem, in my view. So, I again, I just point out that the Democrats dwell on that, and I think they grossly exaggerate it. I'm not condoning it. I don't think, again, it's the correct approach. I understand and appreciate the frustration, but I think there are appropriate and legal ways that we can redress our government. It's a privilege granted to us in our law, in our Constitution. And then then there's across the line. Those that cross the line, broke laws, okay, let them pay the price. I'm, I'm for that. But it needs to be done in a relatively exp- expeditious manner, shouldn't be long delays. And we, we're it's, it's part of our uh, part of uh, our law, right to a speedy trial or some proceeding, not just being detained indefinitely without any d- uh, disposition. In our economy, talking about the uh, the population problem, Will, we were discussing earlier in the program how China is now providing financial incentives to its childbearing population to reproduce. In our economy, how can lower income afford people afford children on the ceasefire tax line? I get it. I, I understand. Um, Curtis and Biloxi, uh, along those lines, says, unfortunately. Who the hell wants to bring a child into this world with the current state of affairs in our country? If we keep going down the current road we are on, imagine what it will be like whenever that child reaches adulthood. I hear you, Curtis. Um, I, I, I still maintain strong degree of optimism in the future of the country, and I think doing anything less than that is a self-fulfilling prophecy, honestly. It pretty much guarantees the worst scenario will, will take place. I've always thought, well, would you go down, for example, to the maternity ward of your local hospital and say, don't bring that child into the world. It's over. It's done. Well, I don't think that's a good idea. Nobody wants to hear that, obviously. Nobody thinks that. Um, that's, that's having a child. You're doing that because you expect to raise your child and, and pass on to them a, a life and get them ready for a life that's hopefully better than yours. Think China would be interested in these illegals from the border? No, I don't think so on the ceasefire tax line. Gene and Mendenhall says that Fetterman sounded like Uncle Joe, and Tom and Carthage says it sounded like Ozzy Osbourne without the expletives. <laughs> Paula Meridian says he found that ground beef was five bucks a pound at Walmart yesterday. Wow. Wow. Uh, Stephen Brookhaven, wanted to get to this one, Will, says, Even as a construction contract worker, I strive to maintain a clean and groomed appearance while on the job. I feel it's important. I, I agree, Steve, and I respect you for that, man. That's that's good to hear. And we, we were just discussing how uh, one's appearance does say a lot about one's, uh, I think, work ethic, their character, their integrity. Yeah. It's not 100% aligned, of course, but in general. It just shows that you've got some gumption and, uh, and and really, I think, see that you present a professional image, and I think that's important. It, it'll carry you a long way. There's no doubt about it. Just having one set of skills without the other, I don't, I don't think, without that balance, without that, that diverse skill set, uh, is, is going to limit you in your career, shall we say. 
So I, I totally agree with that. But respect you for that, Steve. Thanks for letting us know about that. Uh, Matt Westpoint says, finding someone that actually wants to work is rare. And again, I say that's because of, to a great extent, what um, our children and our and those even at the college level here from in the college environment so often and uh, from our government. And, of course, demonizing employers doesn't help that situation either. Who wants to go work for a company that our government says are just evil, wicked, unfair, exploitative, etc.? It, yeah. it doesn't help when you hear that virtually 24 hours a day. Uh, I wanted, Speaking of which, I wanted to share this tweet from Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Sandy from <laughs> what Tucker called her, Sandy from Westchester. Here's the deal. This was yesterday, Will. Listen to this carefully. Here's the deal. McCarthy has nowhere near the votes for a deal and therefore cannot negotiate the debt ceiling. You need 218 votes. GOP has maybe 150. They will need anywhere from 50 to 100 House Dems to pass anything. Dems have 213 votes for a clean bill and just need to pick up five. Huh? They already passed a bill. They passed it two weeks ago. We talked about it on the show the day it got passed. What is she talking about? How can she be that clueless, serving right there in the chamber? How? This has already happened. It already passed. She's something else. I I just don't get it. How, How could you not? And so people are tweeting comments right to her tweet, and they're sharing all these news articles about the bill which passed. I'm looking at, at one right here from Axios. U.S. Houses pass. U.S. House passes debt ceiling. Here's one from from uh, Associated Press. House Republicans pass U.S. debt bill. Push Biden on spending. CNN House votes to pass debt ceiling. That these are from April 26th. It happened about three weeks ago. How could she be that clueless? This tweet, by the way, May 17th, yesterday. So. How could they be that clueless? Oh, gosh. Um, somebody, somebody posted a, a meme that features John Wayne in uh, military uniform. It's made, obviously from one of the many movies he made where he played the part of usually an officer, you know, in the military. And... And the meme, it's got this kind of bewildered look on his face. And on top of it, it says, well, I'll be damned. So that's what stupid looks like. <laughs> oh, gosh. How could she get that wrong? I just don't understand it, how she could get that wrong. Hmm. I don't know, man. Let's see. Which one of y'all gets to, no, that's not the day. Depends on the career. I love my day job on the ceasefire text line. Who was the guy with the algae plant? Oh, that was from yesterday. We had uh, someone that was uh, from Meridian that manufactures footwear, and it's sustainable footwear. Uh, And the primary raw material input to the process is algae. And that's why he's from Georgia, located here, because he's sort of sandwiched between the catfish farms and other aqua sources where the algae is produced. 
Yeah, it was fascinating. And they're producing footwear. He's come up with a process to produce manufactured shoes out of it, which is pretty cool, I guess, when you think about it. Uh, and, I, and my guess is you'll find some other uses for it as well. And this individual founded this company, and uh, I think is the CEO of the company as well. Pretty neat. But we're coming right back with a final segment on Middays on this Friday Eve in the Element Well Studios. Middays with Gerard. Good for America. Good for fans of justice and truth. Good for us. Super Talk Mississippi. This is what we stand for. Pine trees lining the winding road. I've got a name. I've got a name. Like a singing bird in the croaking toad. I've got a name. I've got a name. Thanks so much for being with us today on this Friday Eve. We are coming at you from the Element Wealth Studios. And don't forget to sign up for. Super Talk Mississippi News Newsletter, supertalk.fm slash newsletter. You especially want to sign up, Will, with the elections forthcoming because we're going to have right. lots of coverage news. on that. By the way, lots of folks have asked about a debate, a uh, debate between the candidates for lieutenant governor. Uh, I mean, there are four. On the, we're talking about in the Republican primary, four. Two in particular that uh, – or, or leading, certainly in the polls, incumbent Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman and challenger Senator Chris McDaniel. Um, I've offered to moderate a debate. Would love to do that right here in the Super Talk studios. And we could go anywhere and do it, honestly, and, and broadcast it, cover it, and um, would would welcome that opportunity. So both camps know that. We're just trying to get that together. We'd love to do it and. And uh, believe it would serve. I believe it would serve the voters to get the candidates together, and let's uh, let's get them to address the the issues facing our state that I think voters want to know about, and maybe some things voters don't think a lot about because the candidates don't talk about them. And one of those is I know I I hammer it all the time is PERS, PERS, because it's got financial challenges. No question about that. And uh, we have an obligation to fund the benefits to those who participated in the program, and it's mostly funded by taxpayers. About two to one, the taxpayer employer, if you will, contribution versus the employee contribution. But you got to either have more money coming in, just like Social Security, or less going out at some point. Or the thing is not sustainable. And uh, I, I'd like to hear the candidates' plans to address the, that uh, very complex, sensitive, controversial issue. Just among many others, but that's just one you won't hear the candidates talk about. Let me tell you about what we're going to do with, with respect to PERS. It's not politically popular, just like Social Security and Medicare. Read a report this morning about the trajectory of our nation's debt. With interest rates rising, of course, that means our debt is more expensive. 
It's uh, on a run rate this year to come in at about $600 billion. $600 billion. Just an interest payment? Just interest payments. That's 10% of the total budget across the mandatory and uh, discretionary spending. 10%. It's, it's headed for a trillion in about six years. A trillion a year. A trillion. Wrap your head around that. Interest will be as big as Social Security, which is the number one spending item in the federal budget. That's where we're headed, the trajectory we're on. Yet there doesn't seem to be any interest in trying to reduce our debt, pay down our debt, and the only way you can do that is if you balance the budget. By the way, the doom and gloom that we've shared on the program from uh, Democrats and the President about defaulting, not raising the debt ceiling, I should say, that does not necessarily equal default on payment of our obligations, and here's why. We still have income coming in. We have enough income coming in to pay the interest on our debt on a monthly basis. So when you talk about default, what they're referring to is default on our obligations, our debt obligations. We got enough money to cover that. Now, does that mean we'd have to make some hard decisions to avoid default? Because that's that's what really would cause the most catastrophic economic consequences. But of course, that then means well, you got to cut somewhere else. You can't afford it all if you're going to take care of the debt service. We have enough money coming into the treasury monthly. They won't share that little detail with you, though, Will. That's the problem. They want you to think, oh, my gosh, the whole government's going to shut down. No, that's not actually accurate. We still have money coming in. We just don't have enough, and that's why we got to go borrow. Enough to meet the full scope of the budget on a monthly basis. They don't want to talk about that. They'd rather the fear-mongering, because the left then latches onto that and throws it in the face of those who want to try to introduce a little fiscal sanity into the equation. And I applaud Kevin McCarthy for doing that. By the way, have you seen the polls on him? Way up. Really? Yeah. There have been some polls specifically on him and his performance as Speaker of the House. I think he's surprised. Getting that thing through, the one that A.O. said, C. said can't go through, that has already passed, that was a pretty big accomplishment, honestly. I think Americans see that. But the music means we're out of time here today on uh, Middays. I hope you have enjoyed the program. We're back in the Element Well Studios once again tomorrow with Will. Until then, stay safe and God bless everyone. Mississippi Media Production.